G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Hi and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Fines. My name is Bill and we're currently in a series from the Book of Acts about the passion of early Christians. But for our lives today, it's about the struggles of life that shake us up, whether it's health issues, financial insecurity, or breakdowns in family communication, distracting us from the real joy that is found in Jesus. Let's hear from Pastor Jeff now. He's in Acts chapter 4. Uh, We're in a series in Acts 4. I want to begin uh, with a few questions. Uh, Don't answer out loud, but I want you to think about these, okay? Number one, can you guarantee your financial security for the rest of your life? Can you? Don't worry, this is not a giving sermon. It's just the first question. Don't worry. All right, let's move on, just because the look on your face is like, oh, no. (laughs) Can you guarantee that you're going to be healthy for the rest of your life? So, So... Something could, you could get a disease tomorrow, next week, a month from now. We're in agreement, right? You have really no guarantee, right? Uh, Can you guarantee that all your relationships will stay together? Can you guarantee that? Some of you are a little unsure. You know you can't, right? You know that. I mean, relationships deteriorate. They, they, They go south. You can't guarantee it. Uh, Number four, can you guarantee that your children will always make good decisions? (laughs) See, it seems like in in every service, everyone's sure about that one, but not the first three. I mean, the answer is no to all these, just in case. No, you can't. Can you guarantee that the people you love will always love you? No. Can you guarantee that people you love will not die someday? No. No. Can you guarantee, like if you have a pet or uh, something that you're really close to, a dog, or if you're desperate, a cat, if one of those, <laughs> you can't guarantee that something won't happen to them, right? Right? Uh, can you guarantee that you will not die? Okay. Uh, can you guarantee that you'll be successful at everything you do? No. No. You're going to try real hard. Now, let's think about what we just did together, because this isn't difficult. You've just admitted, or you should have, that you have no guarantee that you won't die tomorrow. You have no guarantee that 
a relationship that you value so much will not dissipate. You, you cannot guarantee that your health won't decrease. You can't guarantee that you'll be financially secure. You can't guarantee that your marriage even. I mean, there are things you can do, but there are, there are things that happen in the world. It's just part and parcel of the world. You can't guarantee your kids won't do something stupid tomorrow. You can't guarantee it. Now, if that's true, how, how you doing? I mean, if, if, if all that's true, man, how did you get up this morning? I don't know. How did you carry yourself into this place? I mean, if you got no guarantees about tomorrow, the next day, next week, how are you managing? I mean, it's a wonder you're just not in bed depressed with the covers over your head or you're just anxious about everything. Now, I want you to stay with me for a moment because to get the best out of Acts 4, you, you got to come to terms with some things. And the first thing you have to come to terms with is whether it's biblical or secular history. Things that look so invincible in the past crumble like a saltine cracker, right? The descendants of Cain, they build these big cities. They want an enduring civilization. But what happens? The flood comes in and washes everything away. Same thing with the Tower of Babel. It's built up as invincible. And it crumbles down, shaken, gone. And then Jesus comes along in the New Testament. And he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in all days. No matter what it is. No matter how much you love it, you never know when the waters are going to come in and wash everything away. And this is not just biblical history. This is history history, secular history. Who would have thought 20, 30 years ago that the Soviet empire would crumble? It did. Do you remember the slogan of the British empire? Any of those who are my age or older probably? The British empire, the empire on which the sun will never set? Well, the sun set and it crumbled. It's gone, uprooted at its core. So what does the Bible and history tell us? It tells us that every civilization, every ruler, every corporation, you think your job is really secure, but you never know. Tomorrow somebody comes in, there's a hostile takeover, or there's a restructuring. You don't know. I mean, my goodness, 100 years ago, we thought that everything was solid matter. And now we know today that it's not. It's just energy in motion, and it's all running down. Now, you're wondering again, man, I come to church to get encouraged. This is just depressing the hound out of me. Uh, the example I like to use, and, and some people don't like this, is you, you know Thanksgiving, you take the turkey or some of you, let's say you take a chicken out of the oven and you put it on the table. Well, at first you can't touch it because the energy is compressed. It's too hot to handle. But let's leave the turkey there or the chicken. Let's leave the chicken there for an hour. And then the energy scatters, Right. Now you can eat it, but let's, let's not eat it. Let's leave it there for a day. Let's leave it there for a month. Let's leave it there for six months. And then what starts to happen? My goodness, there's a stench. There's decay. It's losing energy. It's, it's moving away. Second law of thermodynamics. It, everything is decreasing. Now, the point I'm trying to make is, and you say, is that really necessary, Jeff? Yes, because you're the chicken. <laughs> That's you. Look, I... I hate to admit things, but I, I'm just trying to be honest. And I've noticed I, I'm older now, and, 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 and I stink. There, you know, there, yeah. I, I'm starting to smell. I, I don't know what other way to put it. Now I know why when I walk around older men, they smell like a gallon of aqua velva. It's, it's trying to mask. We're, we're, we're decaying. And no matter what you do, man, you can jog. And you can exercise, you can color your hair, you can do whatever you want, but you're not going to stop the inevitable. Now, here's the point before we get into this. 
What idiots we are to think that our ultimate problem is with the people or things that try to shake us. Look at the room right now. I guarantee there's a lot of shaking going on. My boss is shaking my life. My mother-in-law is shaking my life. Now, I can identify with that. My ex-husband is shaking my life. The economy is shaking my life. This disease is shaking my life. These people are shaking my life. Woe is me. I'm undone. But of course, you're the chicken on the table. You're losing energy. Everything is shaking. And what idiots we are to think that this particular set of circumstances, whatever you're dealing with right now that's so shaking you... What idiots you are, we are, to think that that's our real problem. That's not our real problem. The real problem is the nature of things. It's all fragile. You go to Barnes & Noble, and I like to do this about every six months, because there are so many, the self-help section is growing. It's getting bigger and bigger. And you got titles like, you are going to win. The body that is you. You know, you are invincible. But all of these books could have one title. One title, it would be this, How to Make Your World Stop Shaking. But you can't. And the world accuses the Christians of living in a dream world. Who's living in the dream world? Who's really living in the dream world? Disconnected from reality. It's people who spend their entire lives focusing on a chicken that is losing energy. That you can't stop from shaking. You can marinate it, deep freeze it, refreeze it. Squeeze it, hold it, cuddle it, chase it. You can walk across the road with that chicken. Whatever you want to do, it's going to fade away. It's going to shake. It's going to fall apart. Now, now, when you finally open your eyes to this, and there are a lot of people who never will because they live in a sense of denial. They block it out of their minds. They don't want to think about it. And it's easier for them to deal with life that way. Just put it out of my mind that one day I'm, going to, I'm the chicken on the table and I'm going to just fall apart. Forget it. But when you do come to terms with the reality and stop living in a dream world, there are one of two responses. Number one, you're going to be one of those people that say what? Man, Pastor Jeff is right. I got to get everything I can now, man. I'm going to live it up now while I got the energy and the means and I'm just going to do it now because one day back to the dust. And if that's you, you're going to live with this overriding sense of sorrow. Now you're going to have joyful moments. You're going to part day. You're going to have, I mean, I'm not going to lie. You're going to have some fun times fun times, but they're temporary. And you live with this overarching sense of sorrow that it's all going to end one day. And the older you get, the more sorrowful you're going to be about what you did with your life. Or second, you look at reality and say, wait a minute, there's got to be something bigger in myself. There's got to be something that is not shakable, something that is not falling apart. And then you're going to attach your life to that. And those people who do that live with an overarching sense of joy because they've answered the big questions. Sorrow still comes, but it's peripheral. It's on the outside. Now, we could describe life, and folks, come on, this is where we live. Every day of your life, every day of your life, come on. Somebody's either betraying you, turning their back on you, trying to ruin you financially. Your health issues are going into the tank. Come on, the, the reality. Life could be described as a constant shaking interrupted by moments of violent shaking. So, Pastor Jeff, why do you tell me that? Because when you come to Acts 4, and we're asking, why does God put this X for in the Bible? We see something. God wants this story here so that you can see something. When you come to Acts 4, and we're asking, why does God put this X for in the Bible? We see something. God wants this story here so that you can see something. And what is it? 
Well, we're told that Peter and John are released from the prison. They come back and they tell all the other Christ followers about the threats they've received from the civil authorities. Now, what are these threats? What can the civil authorities do to you? Well, they can confiscate your wealth and your home and your possessions. They can remove your freedom by imprisoning you. They can take away your loved ones by imprisoning you away from them or them away from you. They can torture you. They can kill you. In other words, everything you think your life is built on, wealth, freedom, love, everything, these things are shaken. And the people of the first century, the first Christians, they're no different than you. They're terrified. And so because they're terrified, what do they do? They start to pray. And here is their prayer in Acts 4, 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with boldness. Acts 4, 29. Let me read it again. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, you don't pray for boldness unless you feel weak. You don't, feel, you don't pray for boldness unless there's a certain sense of your life falling apart. And what's happening to these first Christians is very simple. They're experiencing an internal quake. They're falling apart. Now, what's, what's the definition of an earthquake? You Californians should know. If the ground is immobile under you, then you can be mobile. If, it, if, it, if it's not moving, then you can move. But if the ground under you is mobile, if it's moving, then you are immovable. You, you can't move. You're holding on for dear life. Now, they are immobilized. They're experiencing this internal quake because everything they stood for, just like you and me, their wealth, their freedom, their love, their families, their lives, all of it's being shaken. So they become insecure and they pray for what? They say, God, we're falling apart here. Give us courage. Now, something special, stay with me. Something special happens between the time Peter and John returns from the civil authorities, informs the people of the threats, and by the time they begin to pray. Now, this has happened to everyone. How many times that you've been praying in a group of people, all right? You've been praying and suddenly after everybody goes around the room and shares their prayer request... Suddenly, there, this collective wisdom comes into the room, and somebody says, you know what? It appears that what we should be praying for is this. Does that ever happen? That's called the Holy Spirit coming down and opening your eyes to what the real issue is. This is exactly what happens in Acts 4. Don't, and don't miss this, man. Don't mythologize this. Don't say, well, this is a long time ago. It doesn't apply to me. It applies to you incredibly. Because, look, I love I love my granddaughter. I got to tell you, when I see her, when I see her, I want to cry. And I never understood this. I was warned about it. I love her so much. And I love playing with her. She's crawling now. And so when she crawls on the floor, I mean, she can crawl fast. Kids are fast when they're crawling. And she's just zooming across the floor. And I'll look at her and I'll say, I'm going to get you. Grandpa's going to get you. And she just smiles and she starts crawling and I start chasing her. And if I don't chase her, she gets mad. Well, I'm chasing her the other day and she falls down the steps and bangs her head. And now I'm feeling bad because I almost killed her a couple of weeks ago. And, <laughs> and I know my daughter-in-law, Jess, is not going to let grandpa around her. And, I, you know? and I'm sitting there thinking, why do you have to do these things? But here's the reality of all this. Imagine living in a world where you love your children or granddaughter so much, but at any moment, somebody could knock on the door and take them from you. Do you realize that's the situation in which these people were living? Their wives being raped, their daughters raped, taken away. They were being crucified upside down. They're being threatened by the authority. Do you realize that's, this is real? And do you realize it's still happening? Maybe not here, 
But there was an article a couple of weeks ago. It came off the Associated Press that Christians are being persecuted more today than they have in the last 50, 60 years, that Christian persecution is on the rise. So this is not just a first century problem. Christ followers today in different parts of the world, we're blessed. I don't know if that's the word I want to use. I'm not sure what to use. We're sheltered and shielded from it. But a lot of Christians across the world, they know what I'm talking about. Acts 4 shows you that these first Christians began to understand very early on why they were so shaken and it freed them. They realized their problem was not the civil authorities, not the persecutors, not economic or social issues. They realized somehow in this prayer meeting, and I'll explain how they did that, they realized all of a sudden that their real problem was not the politicians, not the president or prime minister, no political party at all, that their real problem is the nature of the world itself. And you can spend all your energy trying to stop the world from shaking, but you ain't going to be successful because the world is always going to shake. So what do they do? They pray for boldness. What else do they pray for? Nothing. That's it. Now, I read this and I think, man, Jeff, you got problems. You got Because what do I do? What do I do? I say, Lord, protect me. Lord, protect my wealth. Protect my family, my grand. Put a hedge of protection around Pastor Jeff. Protect all this stuff. Remove these evil men from power, whoever they are. Smite them, almighty smiter. Right? Now, that doesn't mean it's wrong to pray for things. Well, not the last thing. But it's, it's not good. It's not bad. A few chapters later, Peter's in prison and the church prays that he will be released. It's okay to pray. But they pray for something more fundamental. Because when they pray for boldness and nothing else, they're acknowledging that their real problem is not the authorities, the politicians. It's not even the, the reality that people are threatening their wealth and their health and their freedom or their life because they began to understand if the civil authorities weren't threatening these things, something else would be. <coughs> something. Our real problem is that everything in our lives, and here it is, everything in our lives is fragile. In the words of Jerry Lee Lewis, for those of you who know that is, there's a whole lot of shaking going on. <laughs> it's just going to shake. And why do they pray for courage? <laughs> there's such a strong cause and effect happening here. Because when you get down on your knees when everything around you is shaking, and you pray not for a change in your circumstance, but you simply pray for courage, you're recognizing that your real problem the reason that hardly anyone in this room, myself included, beginning with me, does not have this greatness and depth of heart is because what we do is we spend all of our efforts in our lives trying to stop the world from shaking. That's what we do. Now stay with me. My first earthquake in California was at Corner Bakery. And I noticed something about California earthquakes. You can't stop them. You can't contain them. You can only endure them. Oh God, we say. Think about my prayers, your prayers. Oh God, don't let me lose this person. This is the only person I'm ever going to love. Oh God, please don't let me lose this job, financial deal, business arrangement. And basically what we're doing when we pray that prayer is saying, Lord, stop my world from shaking. The first Christians, look, we've been talking about the difference between religion and I'm trying to get through to you. Religion and Christianity. You know, religious people come to church because they think, well, if I do something spiritually good, then I can get God to enter into a contract with me to stop my world from shaking. And so if I come to church and do religious things and my world doesn't stop shaking, then what am I going to do? Well, what good's God? Well, that shows you've never had a God quake. You still think it's all about you. 
And the first Christians recognized that the problem is if you spend all your time trying to get the world to stop shaking, you're going to waste a lot of time because it's the chicken on the table and it's going to keep shaking. You say, Jeff, I hear you, but I'm not convinced. Okay. Look at how the text, look, it's so beautiful because when they come together to pray in Acts 4, I love when I see this because it shows this. It's been going on for 2,000 years. The Christ followers come together and they all get in a room and they start praying. And as they pray, guess what the Spirit of God does? He takes their mind to an Old Testament passage. It's the way God communicates. You ever been in a room where you guys start praying and then all of a sudden somebody in the, somebody in the room says, you know, I think, I think there's a passage in Mark that speaks to this. And it's like God just suddenly knew exactly what your issue was and spoke right into it. That's called the Word of God. And so here's what happens. These disciples, you think it started with us? It's been happening for 2,000 years. They get together to pray, and God brings to their mind a chapter out of the Old Testament. We read it in Acts 4. Sovereign Lord, this is verse 23. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Now, they're quoting what? Psalm 2. That's right out of Psalm 2. But what is the conclusion of Psalm 2? Let me read it for you. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. What is God saying to them? God's saying to them, your world's shaking. I'm real sorry about that. But guess what? There's a kingdom that does not shake. And there's a king on the throne that cannot be moved. So stop worrying about everything shaking here. I'm not going to take care of that just right now. There's a prince of the power of the air. But let me tell you something. That ought to tell you to face reality that you serve a king that cannot be taken off the throne and a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Invest your life in that. You'll be surprised how that changes everything. When I was a little boy, we used to play King of the Hill. Did you ever play that when you were growing up? Okay, I got three brothers, so there are four of us. Each brother would take a turn, and you got to stay on top of the hill until somebody could knock you down. Well, my, young, my oldest brother was a, a state championship wrestler. So he, he, he was built after my father, who was short and stocky, my mother tall and slim. And so when he got to the top of the mountain, you just could not get him down. And we would... I know you, this will surprise you, but I would cheat. <laughs> we didn't care what the rules were. We just, after a while, you just get tired. You just want to get him off the mountain no matter what you have to do. He was invincible. And every time I read Acts 4, I think about what God is saying. He said, God says to them, my son is on the throne, man. He's king of the hill. And whatever you do, you can't bring him down. He wears a t-shirt that says, can't touch this. And you're not going to bring him down. And suddenly the people in Acts 4... They got it. So you know what they prayed for? Not that God would stop shaking things, but they pray for boldness. Why? They're saying to God, God, help us no longer to be surprised at all the shaking in our lives as if it's a surprise. Instead, give us the courage to keep moving forward in what really matters, that this shaking of our world may not distract us from what we're really supposed to be doing. Now, what do we do? Come on now. What do we do? What do I do when my life starts shaking? Please, please don't use me as the example in this. If the, it's one of those sermons where if there's a mirror here, 
I'd be preaching to myself. And, and I'm frustrated that I'm, I'm not growing as fast as I, I should be, aren't you? But here's the deal. When my finances start collapsing, when I don't have enough money in the bank, when I feel I've been betrayed by somebody, I get outside attacks or family conflicts, what do I do? I retreat. When we feel shaken, we begin to retreat and focus completely on how to stop this area of our life from shaking. It gets all of our attention. And we are neutralized. And we continue to function somewhat. And sometimes we even pull by the side of the road and just break down. At that moment, we become insane because we're distracted from what we really should be doing by the surprise that somebody in our life is shaking. So my spiritual life is cast aside. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Will these areas ever stop shaking? No, but where should the majority of my efforts go? See, all the devil has to do is shake a few areas in your life and you're totally neutralized because you don't know what's really important. Can I pause here just for a second? Some of you, God shakes you to wake you up. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.